Welcome to the Jewelry Resellers Podcast, your go-to source for all things shiny, sparkly, and of course, profitable. I'm your host, Desiree, and I'll be your guide on this dazzling journey through the world of reselling jewelry. We'll be diving deep into the art and science of reselling, uncovering valuable tips, insider secrets, and sharing stories from successful jewelry resellers. We'll explore market trends, industry news, and even discuss how to find those hidden gems just waiting to be discovered in thrift stores, estate sales, and beyond. So if you're dreaming of turning your hobby into a hustle, or if you're a seasoned pro looking to stay at the top of your jewelry reselling game, join me each week for insights, stories, and more on the Jewelry Resellers Podcast. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Hi, Desiree. I'm excited to be here. I love talking jewelry with you. I know. I'm so excited that you're here, too. Uh, Happy New Year. And thank you for being my very first guest on the Jewelry Resellers podcast. Yeah. Happy New Year to you, too. It's going to be a fun and exciting year, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. Especially as it relates to jewelry. Now, you and I have known each other for going on about a year now, maybe almost a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I know all about you, but I know a lot of the listeners don't know about you. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us who you are, what you do and how you came into the world of jewelry. All right. Well, I started on eBay back in 99, but I didn't do jewelry back then. I did a lot of, um, other things, things you find around the house, trying to clear out. I had a gift shop, so I cleared out all that excess stuff. And then I ended up in 2019 doing jewelry. Well, I started other things as well. And I just kind of trickled in jewelry. And the more I did jewelry, the more I really enjoyed it. And it's such a learning process that, um, you know, over the past four years, I have learned so much and I'll never stop learning. There's just so much to be um, that's out there. You know, when you're talking jewelry from the early 1900s or or late 1800s till now, you got to be able to distinguish between them. And that's a huge learning curve. So that's basically how I got into jewelry, just trickled it into my eBay business and and learned as I went. And like I said, it's a continuous process. Yes, and here we are. <laughs> yes. Now, my story with jewelry is very similar to yours. I started with eBay just selling everything and anything, and then really fell fell into jewelry for me. So it was more so the practical reason of it being really easy to store. And when I first started, it was really easy to source. I mean, you can still source jewelry, but it seems like it's getting a little bit more difficult nowadays. But when I started, um, I was finding it everywhere. And I loved because it was so small. I said, oh, my gosh, this is definitely going to work because I didn't have a lot of space to store thousands of pieces of anything. So I guess we could start there with selling on eBay. What's been your experience as a as an eBay seller selling jewelry specifically? What is my experience with it? 
Um, I I feel the same way that you do. Um, I think that when I started in 2019, I would say really I started two and a half years ago selling jewelry more. And it was a lot easier finding it than it was all over the place. People didn't know what they had. They had some great costume vintage pieces. And over the past two years, I would say, it seems like there's been a lot more education out there and a lot more um, people selling it. So they're all wanting to learn and they're all wanting to hunt the pieces down. And I can say that like when I go to, when I went to estate sales back then, I could feel comfortable walking in and going straight to the jewelry and other people were, would just go wherever they wanted. Now I feel like I have a lot of competition that are going straight to the jewelry first too. Yes. So it's harder and harder. That's probably the biggest struggle that I have right now is trying to find suppliers, um, people that are, that are selling it at a reasonable cost. Um, but it is out there and it is abundant. So it is still a good, a good, you know, um, source of income for our, for eBay and eBay, I feel is the easiest. Some people wouldn't agree with the easiest part, but I feel it's the easiest, um, best way to sell jewelry. Etsy's close behind, but I have never tried the platform. I'm a little intimidated by it because they're, they're strict as well as eBay is, but not as strict as eBay. I mean, they are more strict than eBay. Then you got Macari and Poshmark, which are pretty lenient. So them are two good options, but they just don't have the traffic like eBay does. That's the other best source. Best thing about um, selling on eBay is, what is it? 35 million users. So I think that's the, that's kind of my experience with eBay. Yeah, I, I mean, I love eBay just because you really can sell anything on there. But like we talked about earlier, the jewelry category seems to be getting more difficult to really stand out and to get your, your pieces seen. Um, and I feel like with eBay, it's a lot of work. And sometimes I feel like I'm working way more than what the return is. And I don't know if that's just a combination of fees and maybe just the asking price because, you know, everybody wants to send, send an offer or you end up marking things down. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I'm not getting the price that I want, you know, to make the sale. And I feel like sometimes I have to sacrifice that a little bit more. And I think that boils down to um, the types of jewelry that you have. Like, um, yeah, if you have common unbranded name jewelry, it's going to be harder to sell because people aren't searching unbranded. They're going to be searching Coro or Hattie Carnegie or Juliana or whatever. And they're looking for specifics and I'm sure there's people out there searching for unbranded stuff in their own way. Like I need a red necklace um, for this party or this dress and they're going to search red necklace. So it might be unbranded. So you still have them people buying, but you, you, the majority of the collectors and they're looking for that specific name brand quality, 
Um, and again, vintage is, is what I deal in. There's tons of people that sell in fashion, but the, fashion is all unbranded stuff unless you create your own brand. And that's, that's a real struggle too, is creating a new brand for yourself. You, you know, look at like Nike or you look at, um, um, well, like back then, Hattie Carnegie, she created a name for herself. That's, that is um, a, a chore. <laughs> it's definitely oh, yeah, a job yeah. to create that brand. So selling branded stuff is easier. Selling quality stuff is easier. Um, that's probably my two biggest things is quality and name brand. That's what I'm looking at into this year. Yeah, and I'm trying to do the same, but what I've what I've noticed because even though I started on eBay, I am finding more success now selling my jewelry in live sales and I'm going to do a dedicated podcast episode strictly to live selling, but what I have found is like if you're trying to sell something that's unbranded, it will do really well in a live show because people can see how pretty the colors are, or they can see the quality, or they can um, really see all the the details and, and everything as it relates to that specific piece. And so they're not as picky as it relates to brand names if you're showing something that's a well-made piece. Because I know we've seen uh, jewelry pieces from, let's say, Target or, I don't know, <laughs> a random brand from TJ Maxx or something. And it's a really nice, well-made piece. It's just not name brand. But those types of pieces sell really well when people can see it up close. It doesn't do as well on eBay because it's not really attracting the buyers, like you said, as it relates to people searching for Monet or Napier or whatever. So that's something to keep in mind, too, is like if you want to sell something that's kind of unbranded but still looks good and is made well, maybe try selling it um, in a live sale or doing a video. Cause I know you can do video in your eBay listings now too. Yeah, that's very, very true. I can, I can see that when I'm, you know, holding up this piece and saying, look at the, how it, it glitters in the light, you know, and on eBay, you have a flat picture. And every time I snap a picture of something bright gold, it's got all these glares and it just doesn't show it. The way it should and you have the sparkly ab rhinestones that don't glitter on that flat picture so it is harder to push a sale on um, ebay than it would be in live for sure um i just i wonder if you have enough followers or enough enough people to bring the price up to what you want on the live shows that they're becoming so popular now that there there's so many people selling that I feel like it might be harder to sell at decent prices when you're doing live and it's quicker, you know, it's a lot quicker too. So you, you know, you've got 10, I don't know how long you do it for 10, 15, 20 seconds and you got to get that price you want in that 20 seconds. So that's, yeah. Me. Yeah, that is the trade off is that's what I've noticed in my own experience is that you don't get uh, as high of high of prices as you would if you let it sit on eBay for however long it needs to sit. Um, but if you're looking to move pieces quickly, or if 
like let's say you did get a Hattie Carnegie piece for a dollar, <laughs> you know, by some stroke of, you know, jewelry god luck, um, <laughs> then you could actually let that piece go for a lower price because your buy cost was so low. But at the same time, I know us as jewelry sellers, we don't always want to underprice our stuff just to move it or just to make a sale, right? Yeah. If I had a Hattie Carnegie, I don't think I'd want to sell it for $5 knowing what the value right. of it is. Right. So that's the other thing you have to keep in mind too. And uh, like you said, on live, on live sales, you do have to have somewhat of a following, you know, because you can't really just depend on random people stumbling across your show and then you having the exact item they're looking for at the exact price and they're ready to buy in that exact moment. <laughs> now exactly. it does happen. <laughs> it does happen, but it doesn't happen enough to make it sustainable. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think the best bet with unbranded stuff is almost a lot like pieces together. Yes. Like all gold pieces, all gold ribbons. I just recently, like this week I did a, um, all hearts, heart brooches. I did probably 10 heart brooches together and ribbons or bows. I did a lot of them. Um, so letting them sit, if you have the storage space and the capability of keeping it there for a while, um, you know, sometimes letting it sit longer just to get more money out of it is worth it. All right now I have about, <coughs> sorry, I have about 5,000 something items up and I'm about maxed out on storage space. So I'm trying real hard to get rid of a lot of old stuff. So I'm marking all that stuff down. I have like a thousand items on 30% off and, um, you know, I'm going to gradually increase that and bring some more in and just try to uh, limit that, that number I have in my store. It's, it's, it's not bad. I mean, I still have the space and like you said, jewelry is so easy to store that, it's not that big of a deal, but I don't want to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. I got to be able to start selling as much as I'm storing or, you know, moving it faster so I can keep the the number in my store down. And by doing that, I think um, selling quality pieces, branded pieces, and I, that's just me. That's that's where I'm focused on, on going. You know, some people may want to do all fashion necklaces. Somebody may want to do beach themed, a beach themed store, or I don't know, you know, just what, whatever they're, they're interested in. And that's fine too. If you can promote that and you're going to bring all them followers in that are looking specifically for that. And my focus again is vintage name brand and quality because I'm starting to get pickier. I noticed that I used to post almost every brooch I had, but now I'll pick up a piece and I have photographed it already and I'm getting ready to list it and I'm looking at it going, it's just not, it's got some little bit of tarnish on the back. The pin's not real straight. I'm starting to get pickier with that. I'll, I'll set it to the side and, and say, forget it. I'm not going to list it. So 
I, I, I noticed myself moving into trying to get better quality. Yeah, I've gotten that way too. And sometimes when I'm out like at a thrift store, I get so excited, even though it's not really a quality piece, but I'll see something and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just so pretty. And it's not anything special. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a random no name thing. Um, but I'm really trying to stop doing that, but I get so caught up in the excitement of finding something that I, I find visually appealing, but then mm -hmm. I have to realize, okay, well, you know, how easy or how hard is this going to be to sell? Because not everybody has the same taste or preference or style, whatever. And so I've become a lot more picky as well. And I'm trying to figure out because I would love to only do vintage pieces, but my problem is, is I don't find like only vintage pieces in the volume that I, that I need in order to keep the income consistently where I want it to be. So that's been kind of the challenge for me as it relates to, to my business and my store, you know, how do I find the volume of stuff that I want consistently because I can find it, but I can't guarantee I'm going to find it every week or every two weeks in the amount that I need. So how do you deal with that um, in, I guess, sourcing or inventory, making sure you have enough and that you have what you need consistently? Yeah, that is one of the biggest issues. And that's one thing I'm looking at this year too. I have been listing 15 a day, um, drafting 20, so I have five extra drafts and to do 20 a day, that's a hundred. Well, it's actually 140 pieces a week. So if I'm looking at quality vintage pieces, I'm never going to find 140 pieces a week. No way. Right. Um, my thrift stores, I have a couple uh, mom and pop type thrift stores that every once in a while, I find a really good piece there that they didn't know they had, but it's not very often. And then we have Salvation Army and the Goodwills around here don't sell jewelry. So I'm stuck with a couple thrift stores and the Salvation Army and a Savers. And Savers, I don't know if they have an online store, but I sure don't find any vintage stuff there. It's almost always maybe 1990s on up. Yeah. And it's and their their prices are like seven ninety nine to twelve ninety nine. I know and for one piece. <laughs> yeah, so it's getting a little extreme, especially just for a fashion necklace. So I I'm kind of limited on that. So and then I have estate sales, yard sales, rummage sales, uh, flea markets. My biggest. Thing is the flea market. I wish it was once a weekend because I can go there and I can find enough for one week, but it's only once a month. And that's the closest one I have around here. So that's my best option. And then you look at estate sales and they have a lot of other stuff, but they've taken the jewelry out. Yeah. I don't know if it, yeah. a lot of times I think the family keeps the jewelry because it's small and then they'll take it and they'll say, oh, I'll just go through that stuff later and get rid of it later. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, I think that some of the estate sale companies sell off the jewelry to one person on the side before the sale. That's 
I, I know that some of them do that and I wish I was yeah, one of they them. Do. Yeah, but, or they um or they auction it themselves like online yeah. or something cuz uh I went to an estate sale this past weekend and they had everything but jewelry, which I found was very odd. Mm -hmm. And um it was nowhere to be found and and I said, "Okay, either someone got here before me and bought it or uh, the people running the estate sale, they're auctioning it themselves, you know, online. Because right. we have a lot of online auctions here where I live too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's really the challenge. I think that's probably the only quote unquote sticky point of doing this business as being a full-time jewelry reseller is finding the pieces. Because, well, it's not, well, I guess finding it consistently, that would be the best way to say it because you can find it <laughs> right. but you may only find it once a month like you said or right once a year whatever you know so being able or you to go, you go to an antique mall and you find it for twenty dollars a piece right you know and there's no way you can make a living reselling that so mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's definitely a challenge and i think that's the hardest part of this business but it's not impossible, you know, so I don't want to discourage anybody and say, oh, well, you know, don't even bother trying because you'd be surprised at how much stuff you do start finding when you actually start specifically well, looking. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think the best source is probably online. And yeah. I'm just not an online um, auction buyer. I, I was for a while there and I felt like I got messed over. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say yeah. it a different way, but, um, um, there was like, there's an auction company locally, but they sold online and the prices of jewelry lots kept going up and up and up. And I'm like, I can't continue doing this because the stuff I was getting, I may have found five good pieces in that soda box and the rest was crap. So the prices were just getting too ridiculous. So I just quit going there. I quit. I, I kind of look once in a while because when I first started, I found a, a lot of all rhinestone brooches that were just gorgeous. And I bid it up to $65. And at that time I'm like, gosh, I would never pay that for, for a lot of brooches, but um, one of them was a Juliana, which I didn't know at that time. I had no idea. And that brooch alone was worth $65. So if not more, that was what, two or three years ago. But today, if I had to bid on that auction lot, it would have went over $250 or $300 probably. So it is getting harder even on the online auctions. I, I know um, Goodwill... Um, has a lot of competition between people. They were selling out their jewelry lots so fast that they raised the prices of their, their lots. And now they're starting to sell more individual pieces. And yeah, I mean, you can still find good stuff in them. Don't get me wrong, but that's not one of my favorite things to do anymore is buy mystery lots. I'm more of a buy one, one piece, one, you know, one piece at a time. Yeah. And I think that's probably going to be how how we have to kind of pivot in this business, because when I went to the um, antique jewelry and watch show 
last year. A lot of those people selling at a much higher level than kind of what we're doing, they focus on like one piece that could be worth $10,000 or $5,000. And so most of their time is spent trying to curate those types of pieces. But again, it takes time to do that. It takes time to learn and then to build the relationships. But what I've noticed is like, and I think I've said this before, is there's a whole nother level to this where you can really start start uh, learning about the antique jewelry, which is very different from the vintage jewelry market because those antique pieces are astronomical, <laughs> you know? So I think for me, I would like to eventually move into more of that type of jewelry because Remember when in one of the calls they had talked about um, there was a lady who only sells Rolex watches and she only had to sell one watch a month to really basically cover her whole living expenses. And wouldn't it be nice if we could do that with jewelry where we only had to really sell one piece a month and that was enough to cover our fees, our living expenses, um, buying new, new inventory. So right. I think that's kind of the direction that this is going is it's going to be much more um, quality and much more um, specific type of pieces for a specific type of buyer. And I don't know if that, if that would be realistic for everybody, but I think for me, that's the direction I would like to go. How do you see yourself pivoting, trying to deal with the inventory issue? Exactly what you said is narrowing it down to better pieces, mm -hmm. having fewer and better pieces. Um, the antiques, I've really been trying to learn more about the late 1800s, early 1900s jewelry because them are still pieces you can find where, I mean, you can find tons from the 1950s and 60s, some from the early 1900s, but the the ones that are around the turn of the century are some of the best pieces and the hardest ones to find, but they're still available to us. Anything before like 1880s, you just don't see that out anymore. Um, they're, they're kind of a specialty thing. You, you might be able to find them online or you might be able to find them. Or at the shows, <laughs> at the antique shows. <laughs> oh, I went to this pawn shop in St. Louis and this lady, she was, the owner was from Russia or from Slovakia or somewhere, somewhere over there. And her, her whole store was eclectic and it was antique and it was, it was just filled not just jewelry but she had cases and cases of jewelry but she also had these huge displays of like late 1800 stuff and stuff from carnivals from when it started you know like figures and um but i could not leave that place the cases were full of like early 1900s jewelry and there's not a piece i could buy in there because there's no i mean she's selling retail but it was just an experience to see everything that she had. I, she was selling 
some I asked her if she had any regular costume jewelry or some in the back that maybe I could afford. <laughs> and she pulled out like Vera Wang and she wanted 25 bucks a necklace for them. So I I ended up buying like two of them just because I felt like I needed to just for coming in her store and experiencing all this. But yeah, you can find them. You can find that stuff at places, but it just depends on how much you want to spend and if you can make any money on it. Yeah. And that would also be targeting an entirely different buyer, an entirely different target market, because I think most people that we're targeting now are probably in like the mid income range. I'm going to say they're not necessarily looking for luxury Right. pieces. And so the people that buy those luxury pieces, that's an entirely different buyer. As and well, as well as the people that buy the $10 pieces of jewelry. Cause like I just sold the yes. $10 necklace and they want to return it. I think they wore it for Christmas and there was mm -hmm. nothing wrong with it. They just, you know, it, it I don't know. They wanted to rent it or borrow it for free. <laughs> exactly. So then you're you're like, you paid 10 bucks for it. Give it to a friend, you know? <laughs> so it's a whole, there's like three levels to that. There's the cheap, <laughs> the cheap, <laughs> the middle class, and then the upper class. It's terrible to say it that way. I don't mean any harm by somebody wanting to pay $10 for a piece of jewelry. It's probably only worth that. But it's you the middle class people, they return it for different reasons. They return it because the necklace um, was too short. They thought their, their neck was smaller than it was and it's not, or, you know, they, they return it because it, you know, just for different reasons. And then the, they don't return as much. Yeah. It's the lower priced pieces that seem to be the, the problem ones that people want to return all the time. <laughs> Well, you get the if you get up to the higher class pieces, you're going to find a buyer, and that buyer is going to be thrilled to death with it. And you're probably not going to have returns because they've been searching for that piece forever. Yes, mm -hmm. and they appreciate they appreciate the rarity of the piece, and they mm -hmm. appreciate that it's not it's not like someone can just go to the mall and buy the same exact thing, right? Like like they know if they have whatever it is they're probably going to be the only one that has it. <laughs> right. And that's you what know? they want. They want that. They want themselves to stand out when they wear that special necklace that's from late 1800s. They so appreciate it. And um, yeah, they're going to be happy with it. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the other thing that I guess too, we just have to figure out who we're, we're catering to as it relates to to buying our inventory. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what, what I want to do, just like you, I want to find better pieces and be able to sell less of them to still, you know, hit my income goals. And that's been kind of the tricky part too, is because, I mean, I can sell like I can go on Poshmark or eBay, whatever, right now, list a whole bunch of stuff for $5 and it'll probably sell, but the problem is, is I'm doing so much work for a little bit of money and you can list the same amount of items 
maybe at $10 or $20 or $50. And you're going to be doing the same amount of work, but making more money. Exactly. So I think that's something that we have to pay attention to, too, is, is really making sure our efforts <laughs> match the income we make. Because whether you're pricing stuff at $2 or $100, it's the same amount of work. But when you're first starting out as a jewelry reseller, it's good to have them lower priced pieces because it's a learning process. And oh, if you yeah. buy a lot, that's the best way to start is buying a lot. Go to Goodwill and get yourself a box. And you have if you have to look up every little name on them and you have to look up every little mark of 925, 800, whatever, you have to look up your learning every time you're looking up one of them pieces and you'll be able to tell by the, the clasps, by how it, it's the beads are hooked together. If it's knotted, if it's glass, if it's acrylic, you're going to learn all of that. And that's, that's how I started. And that's how I um, learned as much as I, I've <laughs> learned in two years. But um, yeah, I think, you know, you can't, you can't just jump right into buying that thousand um, dollar antique pieces. You know, <laughs> oh, like of course. It. Yes. Yeah, so that's a good, good point. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to get into the meat <laughs> and let's talk about what our plans are then for 2024. We kind of talked about, you know, how we got to where we are today and what our ideal jewelry reselling business what we would like that to be. So what's your strategy for 2024 as it relates to your business, branding, growing, all the things? Well, we did touch a little bit on this, but um, I think streamlining everything. I Like I said, I was changing my inventory system out so I can help streamline that portion of it, my um I went from storing everything in Rubbermaids to uh, now I'm doing the numbered system where it doesn't matter if it's a brooch, a necklace, um, an earring. It's all going in line in order of when I list it. And, yeah, that's um, how I did mine. And it's it's great. <laughs> yeah. And I have not had any problems much. I've only had maybe three problems all year with the system I used. And I had a couple of different places I could look and I ended up finding them. But with this newer system, I can, I think it's going to help a lot because I have two ways to find it that should lead me right to it. So anyway, that's one. Um, I worked really hard in the past couple of months on um, streamlining my photography because I was everything seemed like it was taking me too much time. Every aspect of, you know, well, finding the stuff and then photographing it, listing it and storing it kind of the three main things. So I, I focused on photography this past year. And I think I finally got it down where I use a gray background. And I, I went and bought a big sheet of vinyl, um, like two yards of gray vinyl, because it's the, the harsh white kept reflecting so bad that I couldn't take pictures of silver or gold, like necklaces or whatever, when they were solid, because it would just, there was too much light 
reflecting back into the camera and it would just wash it out. Yeah. So anyway, this gray helps tone it all down and then the the gold necklace pops out on it. So photography was one thing. Um, my inventory system this year, I, I have bigger things in Rubbermaids that I need to get rid of. So I'm reducing the prices on all that and compacting all my Rubbermaids. So I'm looking at by summertime, I'm hoping that all my systems are in place and I can just run with it. So I'm, I'm faster at photography, listing is still um, a project and then my inventory. So I kind of skipped the listing part and I hit my other two parts, but, um, and my supplies, my suppliers, I should say, trying to develop relationships with suppliers is another key thing for me this year. Um, looking for higher quality things. So trying to find better places to source, which should be interesting. Um, what else? Oh, and, you know, always education. That's, I'm yes. constantly learning. And I, I want my, I want to get my YouTube channel up to par. It, I haven't been producing videos consistently. So I really want to do... <laughs> I have a small goal of only three videos a month and I have it broken down now of what I'm going to do for each one. And I think I'm going to implement the shorts with, you know, I'm working on that too. That's another whole um, project. Um, well, it's a lot. It's a lot to manage because you're basically doing everything, you know, yeah. when you, Shipping. <laughs> yeah, when you are, a jewelry reseller, whether you're part-time or full-time or in between, whatever, you're doing every aspect of the business, at least mm -hmm. in the beginning, you know, and mm -hmm. until you scale up and you can, you know, hire somebody or something or, or figure out how to automate some things. But for the most part, you have to do every part of this business. Now, that being said, it's not like it's impossible. You know, I know people that do this who are disabled, and I know women who sell jewelry and they're in wheelchairs. So, yeah. so it's not like it can't be done, but I think people just have to be aware that yes. And even if you're not selling jewelry, if you're selling on reselling anything, um, you're going to have to do everything, the sourcing, the listing, the shipping, the customer service, <laughs> the storage, you know, the return, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything. So, but again, I mean, it's not like it's not manageable. And I think for me too, like you, I want to be more knowledgeable and I really want to grow as, as someone who is not necessarily an educator, but I really want to be a resource for the community, which is uh, the mission behind this podcast. I would like to find people who know more about jewelry than I do. And there's millions of them out there, but I would really like to, you know, have people like you who know a lot and can share your expertise and your knowledge with people like me who don't know a lot. <laughs> well, speaking of that, that's um, another thing that's on my plate is to, um, I want to do, um, 
I don't know if I should say it because I'm a little afraid um, how many people will take that and run with it. Um, um, well, share what you're comfortable with. And if you're not, then we can uh, revisit well, it in, in a future episode. <laughs> education. It, that's the other thing I'm, I'm looking at this year is expanding the education. Let's put it that way. So kind of YouTube kind of plays a role in that too. That's one thing I've been doing on YouTube is educational videos on specific designers or how to look at clasps and understand ages and things like that. So I want to expand on that. I have another idea in mind that um, I'm working on trying to put you know, just trying to put the pieces together and that should probably take me all year because <laughs> I'm going to try to implement that into everything else going on. So, yes. Well, whenever you are ready to unveil whatever it is, you know, uh, you'll have to come back on to the podcast and announce it to the world. <laughs> yeah, I will do that for sure. All right. So then as it relates to your brand, then do you have any plans or any ideas of how you will grow your brand? So people become more familiar with who you are, what you sell, how you, um, you know, the things that you plan on teaching or educating people about. I think the first thing you have to do is gain followers you know, you gotta sh you gotta share what you know and have more followers. I don't have near than enough followers right now to um, implement some of the things that I would like to. But it's that's all over time. And um, as far as branding, I like I noticed and I've learned from other businesses that I've had that if you keep like all your social media, all your, you, you have to do some social media, I believe nowadays, and you have to keep your, your colors and your, your name consistent. And you have to show people that I'm finds of yesterday. And it's, I use turquoise a lot and that's, in my branding and I'm going to use that in my header on my Facebook and my Instagram and on my YouTube. And I'm, I implement jewelry pieces on it. So people know that finds of yesterday is associated with jewelry. And I mean, you've got to um, be consistent in what you're doing and promoting and, and um, promote it as many ways as you can. I, I think sometimes doing social media, it can be overwhelming, especially when you do everything. Yes. So I agree. <laughs> sending out, um, like eBay offers now a social media option where you can send out what you posted this week. So I've been trying to do more of that and, and trying to gain more followers, giving more coupons out, doing promos, paying for promo ads, um, all of that together helps and it's, I mean, it slowly helps and it slowly builds, but I think the biggest thing is getting followers. Yeah. And we'll see now there's two ways you can do that too. You can do that organically. Um, you know, like how we're doing here, you know, just posting stuff or you can do paid, you know, paid traffic. You can do paid, um, ads, 
to get people to either see your listings or to follow you, whatever. I know Instagram has has an option where you can uh, run ads strictly for the purpose of getting people to follow you. So that's something you have to think about too is, you know, do you have that in the budget? Do you, do you want to grow organically because uh, you totally can, it's just going to take longer or do you want to pay and grow quickly, you know, and not to rule out that maybe you could go viral, you know, maybe you could do something and a video takes off or <laughs> something and then suddenly everybody knows who you are. It's not like that can't happen, but that, I, I would say that that's a slim possibility for most of us. So um, I think I agree with you as it relates to having a following. But what I, I've also learned too is, is you don't need a huge following. You just need people who are dedicated and who are totally into, you know, whatever it is you sell, or they just love you as a person, or they just love your personality or whatever the case may be. And you can have a very nice business or even a social media following with like a thousand dedicated followers. You don't have to have a million, you know, but sometimes I think it's hard to, at least in the reselling space, there's so many of us resellers in general that I feel sometimes when you're a niche reseller, like how we are, we're still fighting for that reseller audience in the big broad sense of, of the word, right? Because there's not a whole lot of jewelry resellers, but there's a ton of resellers in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least that's what I've, I've noticed. <laughs> I do. I, yeah, you, you're totally right. Um, the, the one thing about paid promos, I've done that in another business, like through Facebook ads and stuff. And you get a lot, you can get a lot of followers, but they're no good if they're not jewelry collectors or, so you have to target the right people. You can't just have, you know, my neighbor who wants to support me, my, my <laughs> old lady neighbor who, who I, I love and adore, but she just wants to support me. She's not going to buy any from me. You know, you got to have the right people that that want to collect and are are there looking for the jewelry you're going to post so you got to yeah target. that's true that's true and um that's kind of the same thing like when you do giveaways and stuff right it's like everybody will subscribe to your channel because they want to enter the giveaway but then they're not people who want to watch stick around and watch your content or they mm -hmm. unsubscribe as soon as the giveaway is over and yeah. and i admit i've done that I mean, not like with anybody, you know, anything jewelry related, but there's been YouTube channels or Instagram accounts that have done giveaways. And so I follow for the giveaway and then I don't win. And then I unfollow because I'm not that their content is bad, but it's just not relevant or of interest to me. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. and I don't want, you know, nobody wants stuff cluttering up their, their feed either. Right. So yeah, you're right. You have to really target people who love jewelry. And I think if you can figure out how to do that, and then that's getting really strategic with your content and posting stuff that will attract people who love jewelry, 
then I think, I think it can work. It may take a little while, but I do think it can work. Yeah. And I mean, Facebook ads are pretty targeted, so you can pinpoint, you can pinpoint areas. I can say my zip code. I want people just in my zip code, but you might, since you can do like zip codes, you could say, um, I sell a lot to New York and California and uh, Florida and Texas, obviously the bigger states. But um, if say I want to target New York people, because I sell a lot there anyway, you could target, you know, that specifically or a specific area. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good thing about targeted ads and Facebook, you know, they know everything about us. So they should <laughs> be able to find the exact right people. Yeah, very true. <laughs> All right. So um, is there anything else you want to share or talk about as it relates to your jewelry reselling business uh, before we wrap up this episode? Um, the other thing I forgot to mention was customer service. Oh, this, yes, that's good. This past year, you know, when somebody sends you a stupid question and you got to answer them nicely, <laughs> I, I struggled with that this past year. <laughs> and I told my husband this, um, you know, I'm sitting there on New, New Year's Day writing down my my 2024 goals. And I said, be nicer to people. Be nicer in responses to people because how it wasn't like I was rude, but I, they might take it as I was being rude. Like I would just answer them. I would just answer their question. Let's put it that way and not say, hi, ha happy new year. Thank you for your question. Um, the, the measurement of this necklace is this much. I hope you have a great rest of your day, blah, blah, blah. I'm not that type of person. I'm just like blunt and to the point. The measurement of this necklace is this. And then I end it or I say, Lynn, or thanks or Lynn, you know, something like that. But, um, I've, I'm making myself be more personable to them, them answers. And, and it's just because, and it's, I'm not trying to be rude to them. I'm just, I've got so much to do during the day. I'm trying to get um, my listings done. I'm trying to get my shipping done. I'm trying to get photography, you know, there's just all this going on. And, you know, I just kind of, I have kind of pushed that to the side a little bit. And I feel like I need to put more effort and be nicer to people. Like, for example, I ordered an ink cartridge today or yesterday. And as the day went on, it was only, I mean, it wasn't much later. It was maybe half an hour, hour later. I realized, crap, I ordered the wrong ink cartridge. I looked at the wrong number and I realized it after I put the order in and it was New Year's Day. So nobody was shipping out yesterday. So um, what happened? I... I sent him a message right away and I said, uh, I'm so sorry, I ordered the wrong ink cartridge. Can you cancel this one? Um, first of all, I put in a cancel order and it got rejected by eBay, but it says you can contact the seller. So that's what I did. And then he responds with an automated message saying, 
that's okay. We accept free returns. And it was a long spiel about here's how you can um, do a return. And he pays for the returns. So I'm like, do you have a 63 XL or whatever the number was? And he does, but he, he wouldn't change it out for me. He wouldn't, you know, cancel the order and let me reorder the new one. He was like, um, you can just return it when you get it. And I'm thinking, yeah, why make you go through the hassle of having to do that and then waste the time of waiting to get it and then waiting for him to get it back before you get your refund. And he's doing it because I, that way I probably won't return it. But my other thought is, um, you know, he's, he's paying for the return shipping when he could just cancel the order right there and then, and he won't have to pay the return shipping. He's not out anything then. Right. And well, then it'll say poor. customer requested cancel. Right. So he won't well, get a ding or anything. Right. It was my fault. And I admit it. So why? I think that's poor customer service. And I sent him another message saying, oh, okay. I just thought I would try to catch it before you actually shipped it out. And I said, thank you. You know, and then he sent a message back saying, welcome. That's how he answered it. Welcome. Not your welcome, just welcome. Oh, like, well, you know what? Maybe he's a drop shipper. That could be. And so he doesn't actually have the item. Maybe the item is coming from, let's say, Walmart. Or and Amazon. So, yeah. And so they could have already processed it. And so he doesn't actually have the inventory in like his house or whatever. That's so that's probably what it is. He's probably a drop shipper and he can't stop the order once it's already started. That could very well be. But I thought that was kind of poor customer service. So just, yeah, just I agree with you response, but I don't want to be like that. I, I, my goal is to make everybody happy that gets a piece of jewelry from me and I want them to be excited about it. I don't want them to not like it and just keep it. I, that's what I offer free returns. You know, we have to do everything we can to keep these seller, keep these buyers and have them rebuy because you want, you know, them to repurchase. They're the ones that already have been to your store, like your store, bought from you. So you got to try to retain them somehow. So good customer service is absolutely the best thing you can do to retain them. So, yeah, I agree. And, you know, nobody likes returns, you know, as sellers, I'm saying, but it's part of the business. It's part of it's to be expected. And sometimes you could do everything right in the transaction and someone will still <laughs> want to return it, you know, and it's not because you did anything wrong. It's just because that's what they want to do and you can't control that. Yeah. But yeah, it's still, it's still difficult sometimes to um, <clears throat> not be bothered by it, I guess, you know, because you think, oh my gosh, you know, did they not like the color or did I not take good yeah. pictures or, you know, you can't take it personally. That's for sure. It's a business. Yeah. You need to treat it as a business. It's a transaction. And, but there is also the personal side of things. You become, if you're, if you're nice to the people, they'll want to buy from you again and they'll be appreciative that you acknowledged them. I think that's all that they're wanting is just the acknowledgement that they're not happy or 
you know, they want to return. Is that okay? You know, they just want acknowledgement and, and having a person behind the scenes that's not cold, you know, yeah. it, it helps. I agree. I agree. All right, Lynn. Well, this was a fascinating conversation. <laughs> One yes. of many that uh, we'll have probably this year. <laughs> yeah. yes. All Thank right. So for, for the invite, I was excited to talk to you again. I don't get to talk enough. So, so yeah, I was happy to be here. Yes. And I was happy that you were here too. <laughs> so where can uh, people find you if they are looking for you online? Oh, gosh. If you go to Google and you type in finds of yesterday, you'll find my eBay store, my Instagram, my YouTube, my Facebook page. It's probably easiest that way. Just type in finds of yesterday because um, giving out my Instagram name and my Facebook, they're all finds of yesterday slash store slash eBay, you know, but just do that. Yes. Google. So please make sure you check out Lynn's store. She has so many beautiful pieces and so much um, stuff. <laughs> all right, Lynn, thank you so much for joining me. And I wish you all the best in 2024. And we'll catch up with you again uh, in a little while. And we'll see. We'll see how things are going on that project that you mentioned earlier. Yes. All right. Thanks, Desiree, for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. <laughs>